Well, good morning, Genesis. My name is Michael. I serve as uh, one of the pastors here and just sincerely wanted to say thanks for coming. Uh, I know it is a beautiful summer day. 87 degrees is the high today, so whatever you're doing after this, I hope it is outside. Enjoy this weather because it's going to snow next week. So... uh, Thankful that you are here. If you are maybe newer to the community, what I'd want you to know is about Genesis. Uh, Our heart is just to help all people walk with God. And so wherever you find yourself today, maybe in a place of just asking some questions about who God is, what God is like, I hope that in these moments that we have together uh, this morning that you would be encouraged, that you would be challenged, uh, even inspired, and maybe some of those... uh, questions you're asking will find their answers today. One of the things I love about gathering on Sunday mornings is I'm just confident uh, that God knows every single one of us. He knows where we're at. He knows what we need. uh, And I'm thankful that he meets us in this moment. So thanks for being here. Uh, I'm sure if you look backwards uh, throughout your life, there's been many different people, men, women, who have impacted or influenced you. Uh, Maybe some that you've obviously met and maybe some that you haven't met. Maybe it was an author or uh, a theologian or someone who uh, God used. I know for me, when I look back, many people have had an influence on me, uh, but one person in particular was a man named D.L. Moody. Lived a few hundred years ago, so I didn't meet him, but one of the things that uh, D.L. Moody uh, had actually shared uh, in one of his sermons, he said this, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but it's succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. I'm not sure what you would say this morning is one of, if not your greatest fear, but when I read these words, I don't want to get to the end of my journey, the end of my life, and have to say I succeeded at something that just, at the end of the day, doesn't really matter. Uh, I'm guessing, regardless of your background, spiritual or not, grown up in church your whole life, or maybe this is your first time coming to church, it's safe to say that not one person here wants to succeed at something that, at the end of the day, it just doesn't really matter. Now, the question I want to just begin with is, well, how do we give ourselves to that which matters most in this age of constant distraction? Again, I'm going to guess that all of us live in the same world, live in the same culture that is constantly inviting us, give yourself to this. Uh, Give your affection, give your time, give your money, give your resources, give your talent. We're constantly being invited of, hey, give all of yourself to this, constantly distracted with things that say, well, this matters most or this matters most. For example, if you are married, isn't the message in marriage of give as first importance to your marriage so that your marriage can be healthy and flourish and it can be dynamic and can be the greatest marriage ever. Or if you're a parent, isn't the message of, hey, give everything that you have, give every waking moment and even sleeping moment to make sure that your kids are okay and they're taken care of and they're happy and they're going to be successful. Or if you're in a dating relationship with somebody, isn't the message in dating, hey, do whatever it takes, give everything that you have to make sure that this relationship can actually work out one day. You have a job, whatever the career might be. Isn't the message at work often, hey, give yourself to this as first importance because this matters so much, having a good career that can set you up in the long run and you can retire and you've got to do this as the most important thing in your life. 
Or if you're a student, isn't the message often at school, hey, as first importance in your life, immerse yourself, throw yourself into these studies, because if you don't, then you're not going to get a good job and you'll be living in debt for the rest of your life. We get the message over and over, give yourself to this as first importance. Happens at church too, doesn't it? Isn't often the message of, hey, we want you to connect, and we want you to serve, and we want you to give, and we want you to be part of people's lives, and we want you to invest all of who you are in what is happening here, because it matters most. Have you noticed that in all of these examples, none of them are bad? Clearly, it's not bad to invest its first importance into your marriage or to your kids or into your career or into your school or into your church community, but we're often told the same message over and over. This is, matters more than anything. This is first importance, so give everything that you have to this one thing. And so it's not shocking that we're all often exhausted, tired, and answer the simple question of how are you doing with I'm busy. I'm just crazy, crazy busy. This was uh, years ago, uh, New York Times posted uh, an article, an opinion piece uh, called The Busy Trap. And in it, it said this, busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked in demand every hour of the day. I can't help but wonder whether all this historic exhaustion isn't a way of covering up the fact that most of what we do doesn't matter. I can't help but wonder whether all this historic exhaustion isn't a way of covering up the fact that most of what we do doesn't matter. So the question, is what matters most shaping your life? Is what matters most what you're actually seeking as first importance in your life? I think it's obviously a great question, but I think probably the question that helps us answer that would be this, what matters most? What matters most to you as of first importance more than anything else? How would you answer that question of what matters most? Someone were to ask you tomorrow at work, maybe someone asked you at school, someone in your neighborhood just said, hey, to you, I'm just curious to know what matters most to you more than anything else, how would you answer that question? Because I think we'd all agree that if we don't have an answer to the question of what matters most, we'll run the risk of giving ourselves to something that 20 years from now just won't matter all that much. One of the things that Scripture, the Bible, makes very clear about Jesus is that Jesus is the author of life. In fact, He is the giver of life. So one would think that the author or giver of life might actually have something to say on what matters most, of what we should seek as of first importance. And so what's the number one thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else? If you're at all familiar with the New Testament, specifically the Gospels, think for a moment, is there something that Jesus talked about more than anything else that he talked about. He talked about a lot of things. So what would be the thing that would say, this is the number one thing that Jesus talked about? Maybe it's having faith. 
and the importance of faith and the importance of trusting God, or maybe it's money and stewardship and generosity. He certainly talked about that a lot. Or maybe it's the idea of serving and living a very sacrificial lifestyle. Or I know he talked about forgiveness a lot. I know he talked about the importance of being a forgiving person, forgiving others, and being incredibly gracious. But then again, I also know he talked about repentance, and he talked about eternal things. He talked about hell a lot. He talked about heaven a lot. But then I also know that Jesus talked about sin and repenting from sin and the desire to be holy in everything that we do. But I also know that Jesus talked about the importance of loving God and the importance of loving people. He talked about all of these things on numerous occasions, but there is actually one thing that Jesus talked about more than anything else. Actually talked about it on 86 different occasions. And what Jesus talked about, the author and giver of life talked about more than anything else was the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus talked first and foremost about was the kingdom of God. When Jesus initially launched his public ministry, do you know how he began his public ministry? By talking about the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 1, it says, the time has come. This is Jesus. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's how he launched out his public ministry. I want to tell you about the kingdom of God. After Jesus did ministry for the better part of three, three and a half years, was brutally murdered on a cross and resurrected on the third day, he appeared to his disciples over a period of roughly 40 days. Anyone want to take a guess at what Jesus talked with his disciples, his followers about during those 40 days? It says in Acts chapter 1, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Out of all the things that Jesus could have talked to them about, what Scripture wants us to know, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. He's getting ready to ascend to go back to heaven, and what Jesus wants to have conversations with his followers on is the kingdom of God. He began his ministry by speaking to the kingdom of God, and before he ascended, he spoke again about the kingdom of God, and everything throughout his entire ministry spoke about the kingdom of God. He told stories about the kingdom of God. He revealed to people what the kingdom of God would actually be like. Jesus talked about many things, loving God, loving people, being generous, being a servant, being compassionate, being forgiving, being gracious. But does anyone want to take a guess at the one thing that Jesus told people to seek first as of first importance? More than anything else, seek this first above all other things. What he told people to seek first was the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, for Jesus, the kingdom of God was not just a good thing to do in your life. It wasn't just a good thing to think about. It wasn't just a good thing to talk about. For Jesus, it was to be the first thing. And in Matthew 6, in this section of Scripture, 
the disciples are talking to Jesus and just asking some questions about, Jesus, how is this going to work? If we're following you, where are we going to get money, and how are we going to get food, and how are we going to clothe, and how are we going to have our daily needs actually met? And Jesus' response to their very practical question of how are we going to do life if we're following you was very simple, seek first the kingdom of God. So again, if Jesus, the author of life, spoke more about the kingdom of God than anything else, and if the one thing that Jesus told us to seek as of first importance above all things was the kingdom of God, then let me just ask all of us to consider the question, what am I seeking first today? What am I seeking first today? I've been wrestling with this question of how do I even begin to answer what is it, if I'm being honest with myself, what is it I'm really seeking first above all things in my life? And as I was just kind of praying and journaling through this question, uh, I wrote down four separate questions to help me understand or even reveal what it is I'm seeking first. And these are the four questions I wrote down. Where am I spending my time? Where am I spending my money? What do I think about most? And what gets me most angry? Those are four questions I just began to ask myself is, where am I spending time, my time? Where am I spending money? Where do I think, what do I think about the most and what gets me most angry? Those are some pretty hard questions because they're also very revealing. They're great indicators of what it, I am actually seeking most. What is it that I am spending my time on? What is it that I'm spending money on? What is it that I'm thinking about or just consumes my mind, my heart? And what do I find myself getting angry about most? Well, as I sat with those questions for me, if I'm being honest, as I considered these questions, I think a lot about the kingdom, but it's the wrong kingdom. It's a kingdom that's largely self-focused. If I'm being honest with you, I spend a lot of time just kind of on myself. I spend a lot of time thinking about me and all the things that I want to do and all the things that I wish were happening or not happening. When I think about money and where it's going or where I would like it to go, it's usually on things that I would like to have. And when I think about things that just anger me the most, it's usually people who've done something to hurt me. So I think a lot about the kingdom, but what I realized is it's largely a self-focused kingdom. And I don't think it would take a spiritual giant in this room to realize that if you seek first a kingdom that is largely about you, it will be a kingdom that will not last. It will be a kingdom that 20 years from now, it just won't matter. Jesus made clear that there is one kingdom uh, that we are to seek first, that what should matter more to any one of us than anything else is the kingdom of God. And so just maybe now the obvious question becomes, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Again, imagine if someone were to ask you this question tomorrow at work or in school or in your home, how would you begin to put together an answer of what is the kingdom of God? Because one would hope if Jesus talked about this more than anything else, and he told us to seek this above everything else, that you and I, if we're going to follow Christ, would have a really well-thought, articulate answer 
for what is the kingdom of God. In all of Jesus' talking about the kingdom of God, he never made the kingdom of God about some theological concept. Jesus never treated the kingdom of God as just like something we should study, dissect, and tear apart. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he talked about the kingdom of God as something to encounter and something to experience. So again, what is the kingdom of God? Well, as you read through the Gospels, specifically Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God, there is a focus largely on two things, the king and his rule and his reign in our lives. When Jesus articulates and talks to people and tells stories and is teaching about the kingdom of God, there is an incredible focus on the king and his rule and his reign in our lives. Now, it would be easy to think, gosh, we're talking about the kingdom of God, and so we begin thinking about maybe a place and a people that comprise that kingdom. But for Jesus, when he talked about the kingdom of God, it was largely about this is the king and what he's like, and this is his rule and his reign in our lives. What I love about what Jesus does when he's talking about the kingdom of God and he's telling stories about the kingdom of God, he wants us to understand with absolute clarity of what the king in this kingdom is like. And so as you pay attention to the gospels and and walk through the stories and the parables that Jesus would tell, he's trying to paint a picture so we would have no confusion as to what the king of this kingdom is like. And Jesus paints the picture that this king is a servant king that this king is a loving king, that this king is a redeeming king, that this king of this kingdom is a perfect king. He paints a picture that this king of the kingdom of God is a powerful king, that this king can bring life where there is death. He can bring glory where there is shame. He can bring freedom where there has been bondage. He can bring light where there has been darkness. He can bring hope where there has been despair. He is a king who can bring peace where there is absolute unrest. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is wanting all people, both religious and irreligious, both spiritual and skeptical, to understand what the king of this kingdom is actually like. But Jesus didn't just come so that we'd understand what the king is like. He actually came to reveal who the king of this kingdom is. Moments before Jesus is about to be crucified, murdered, killed, he's having a conversation with the governor of Judea, and his name is Pilate. And Pilate is interviewing Jesus, and he's asking Jesus all sorts of questions, but he's trying to figure out, why do your people hate you so much? Like, why are you standing here before me And your people are trying to kill you. And so he's interviewing Jesus, and he asks Jesus a very point-blank question in John chapter 18. Pilate went back into his headquarters, and he called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' response is very short, but it's very clear. After talking about the kingdom of God for the better part of three years, telling stories and teaching people about what the king is like, Jesus reveals in no uncertain terms that Jesus is the king. His response to Pilate in John 18 
says this, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate, you're talking to a king right now. And my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom made up of just man-made rules and ways. My kingdom is not of this world. So Jesus wanted Pilate, consequently all of his followers, consequently all of us to know not just what the king is like, but who the king is. And Jesus makes clear that he is the king of this kingdom. Have you ever invited Jesus to live in your heart? I know I have. I mean, growing up, I just, I heard that message a lot. Jesus wants to live in your heart, Michael, and you need to invite him to live in your heart. It's like, all right, well, that, I don't know. It's kind of weird. How does someone live in my heart? And growing up, I just would hear that message on repeat from different communicators and pastors and preachers. And like, if you haven't invited Jesus into your heart, you need to do that. I'm like, well, I think I did that, but I should probably do that again just to make sure that he's still there. And as I grew up and as the years went on, I lost count after like a thousand times of just constantly re-inviting Jesus to live and dwell in my heart. Now, the main problem with Jesus living in my heart is Jesus never actually asked to live in my heart. He's a king. And not only has this king made a way for me, for you, for all of us to live in his eternal kingdom... But what this king has asked, what he has required, is that his rule and reign would be present, evident in my life. Not just to invite King Jesus to live in my heart and just kind of serve as my guide. So when I'm lost or confused in life, I just don't know what to do, which direction to go. I just ask the Jesus who lives in my heart, like, hey, what do you think? What do you think we should do? Because I really want to do this, and I want to accomplish this. So how is my heart leading me? Well, I think Jesus is there, so we'll go this way. Jesus didn't ask to reside in our heart. Jesus is king, and the king has come that he would rule and reign in our lives. You see, understanding the kingdom of God begins with understanding that Jesus is the king, and being in awe of what the king has done to make possible for us to be in his kingdom both now and forever, but it doesn't stop there. The kingdom of God is about Jesus ruling and reigning in our lives. So when Jesus calls all followers to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what Jesus is saying, live lives that reflect who the king is. In every moment, live a life that reflects who the king is. Above all, live in such a way where there is no confusion whatsoever to who your king is. And in so doing, there will be men and women in your life who will catch a glimpse of what the king is like and how you are living under his rule and reign in your life. See, we begin to display the kingdom of God when we display the rule and reign of Jesus, King Jesus, in our lives. This is why the kingdom of God is not so much about asking Jesus to come live in your heart, metaphorically speaking. Rather, the decision is submitting to Jesus' rule and reign in your life. And not just like part of your life, but in the totality of your life. 
Every decision we make reflects who Jesus is. Every decision that we make that reflects what, who Jesus is and what Jesus is like, we have the opportunity to advance his kingdom. And I want to be really as practical as I can with this. Every time that you choose to be gracious to somebody, every time you choose to demonstrate mercy to someone, every time you choose to be forgiving of someone who has hurt you, has wronged you, every time you choose grace, mercy, and forgiveness, in that moment, you advance Jesus' kingdom. When you choose to be a servant, a sacrificial servant, and you choose to be generous with your time, with your talent, with your treasure, on a Sunday, on a Monday, on Tuesday, throughout the week, every time you choose to be a sacrificial, generous servant, in that choice, you are advancing Jesus' kingdom. Every time you choose to love somebody, and not love them for what they'll give you in return, but love them in the same way that Jesus, King Jesus has loved you unconditionally. Every time you choose to be loving towards someone, specifically who's been unloving towards you, you're making a choice to advance Jesus' kingdom. Every time you choose to demonstrate Christ-like character in your career, in your place of work, in your place of study... And what I mean by Christ-like character is every time you choose to be humble, every time you choose the path of honesty and integrity, every time you choose to demonstrate a good, solid work ethic, every time you choose Christ-like character, you are advancing Jesus' kingdom. So whether you deem the moment of the day to be this magnificent mountaintop high or this, this mundane moment that you've got to get through, we have the opportunity to advance King Jesus' kingdom in every moment of every day, in every conversation. I'm either going to be advancing His kingdom or not. But what we also need to know is every time I choose to be sinful, every time I choose to be selfish, every time I choose to be unforgiving and bitter towards somebody, Every time I choose to be angry and dwell on my anger and be harsh towards somebody, every time I decide just to be mean to somebody, cut them off, whether in the car or in speech, just because I'm annoyed at them, every time that I choose to be greedy and grab for more, every time that I choose to be prideful, arrogant, or lustful, we are advancing a very different kingdom in that choice that we make. And it's not the kingdom of God, but yet the kingdom of darkness. See, seeking first the kingdom of God is an invitation to bring transformation, not just to our lives in submitting to Jesus' rule and reign as king, but actually to bring transformation to the world we live in, to the lives of people that we live around, to the cultures and community and societies that we live around. We're called to bring transformation, kingdom transformation, because we're people who have submitted to Jesus' rule and reign in our life. Not because he somehow resides in my heart, but because I recognize Jesus is king and it's his rule and reign that I'm submitting myself to. First Corinthians 
As you read through the New Testament, Jesus' talk about the kingdom of God was so profound that it impacted the other New Testament authors to talk a lot about the kingdom of God. One individual in particular, his name was Paul, and in a letter that he wrote to a church in Corinth, he said this, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it's living by God's power. See, we're not just to sit around and talk about the kingdom of God and be like, wow, that sounds amazing, that sounds awesome, and we're not just supposed to study it and think about it, but do nothing with it. The kingdom of God is a life of power, a life of transformation for us and those around us. Living powerfully will never come if you seek first, as of most importance, your kingdom, but it will be experienced when we choose together to seek first, as of most importance, King Jesus and His rule and His reign in our life. Let me now ask the question again, in light of you having a little bit more information about what the kingdom of God is like, it's about the King, King Jesus, and His rule and His reign in our life. What are you seeking first today? Because King Jesus and His rule and His reign in our life has said, seek first the kingdom of God. It's amazing as you seek first the kingdom of God, how it starts to bring shape and form to all the other things that we're called to be faithful with because we're seeking first and foremost the kingdom of God. So what are you seeking first today? If we're not seeking first the kingdom of God today, well, you might become very, very successful at something that will not matter 20 years from now. And what a tragedy that would be to wake up 10 years, 15, 40 years from now and look back and say, gosh, I was so successful in things that ultimately did not matter or make a difference. What God has laid in my heart, uh, not just for me, but for our church, is that there would be a renewed thing in my life, but also in our church, renewed kingdom living. That that's what you and I would be renewed in today. That together we would be renewed in kingdom living, that we would reject and repent from building our own little kingdoms and choose today to seek first, as of most importance, not our kingdom, but his kingdom. When the disciples asked Jesus the question, hey, we see you have an amazing connection with God when you pray, so can you teach us to pray? Jesus answered the question of teaching them how to pray, and he said this in his prayer, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but after Jesus recognized that God is holy, that he is in his kingdom, but seek first, your kingdom come. So as we close with just a time of prayer, I wanted to give you the opportunity to simply pray and invite you to pray, God, would your kingdom come in my life? God, would your kingdom come in my marriage? God, would your kingdom come in my parenting? God, would your kingdom begin to come in my place of work? God, would your kingdom come in the place of my studies right now? God, would your kingdom just come in the neighborhood I live? God, would your kingdom come in the culture that I live? God, would your kingdom come in my attitude and my actions my reactions, my responses. God, would your kingdom come in the decisions that I'm making every day? 
God, would your kingdom come in this church? Would you be willing just to say, God, would you renew not just my heart, but all of our hearts for kingdom living? Because that is what Jesus called us to seek as of first importance is his kingdom, not ours, because he is the king and he's invited us to submit and surrender our lives to his rule and his reign.